For example, Robinhood displayed to many customers negative cash balances that were twice as large as they actually were. Even like 2018, 2019, when, when very few people were using Ethereum, uh, these gas fees were really, really cheap, you know, like less than a dollar and that sort of thing. Um, but as applications are built on top of Ethereum, certain people, you know, people that are like, say, swapping on Uniswap or SushiSwap that see, you know, a trading opportunity, they're willing to pay more money um, because if you pay more money, you kind of jump to the front of the line. You may find yourself in another part of the world, living in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. And you may ask yourself, how do I work this? This is not my beautiful wife. You may ask yourself. Well, how did I get here? Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Foot Guns Podcast. It is July 1st, and we have breaking news from Robinhood on a upcoming IPO and all the dirty laundry that comes with it. Listen to how 69K, Boomer, and Billy break it down. Extraordinary. So just a little bit about Robinhood in case you're been living in a cave. Um, they offer commission-free trading. They make 75% of their revenue off of kickbacks or order flow uh, rebates from people who buy you buy your trade and give you bad execution. The median age for Robinhood's customers was 31. Uh, half of the firm's customers self-identified as first-term investors, which means the other half are probably lying. Um, the median customer account size was approximately $240, and the average account size was approximately $5,000. One of the, one of the, one of the uh, ways that, um, that uh, Robinhood has uh, described itself is about, it's all about um, democratization of financial trading, right? It's, it's bringing... Anyone can ability. trade. It's free commissioning. Trading well, not, for the people. Right. Trading for the people. And they, they even have in their um uh they even have in their uh filing, they've got this this picture that is uh you know, they're they're clearly embracing sort of they say they say they've got a picture, our mission is to mock to democratize finance for all. And they have all these profile pics of people. Um, the investor in my head was someone who wore a suit and tie. Robin Hood changed that for me. Angelina, 25. Um, I am able to make financial decisions that grow my money and to help me buy a home. Charles, 32. In a male-dominated world, it's really important for women to invest. I feel good when I can chime in. It gives me confidence boost. Jenna, age 22. And on and nice. on. So they're trying to sell you on this idea 
that they are they are they're sort of the good the good guys and the bad guys and they are the good guys of course and the bad guys are the evil guys on wall street like me and these guys are the good guys so when you hear that term democratization alex and or hal and billy which uh what is it i want i want do you either guys use robin hood yes okay so when you do you believe why and do you believe that they're democratizing finance uh why do i use robin hood uh i used robin hood uh 2020 february because my friend was like hey you can just like really easily get options contracts they don't require you to actually like prove that you have any idea what options are or anything like that and i was like oh sweet cool i can go and buy some uh spy shorts so i went and uh bought spy shorts on robin hood and then made a bunch of money and so then i just haven't pulled it off of there because it's just kind of like my like yolo account which is like it does uh, i heard someone people talking about it today it's just like yeah like i really don't care about the money that i have on that account right and uh billy are you a robin hood user yeah yeah a little little different for me i i guess i got my robin hood account because i was <laughs> once again sick and tired of coinbase fees and I was like, oh, they have Bitcoin and Ethereum. So if I'm just going to do some long crypto trades on just those two, then I can, you know, get in there without a lot of hassle. So can so when do you guys take the trade that they're democratizing finance? Uh, well, you- yeah, I mean, I, so I, I did... I didn't know about Robinhood a long time ago when they first like launched because uh, you know they're like oh we're offering the free whatever and so I was like oh okay I get it they're gonna like sell your order flows you know with the illusion of like a free trade and then they were like uh, offering partial shares you know so they're okay like this might bring in some new people but yeah I mean I don't know. I don't know if I would say like democratizing finance. I guess like you could you could make a, like an e trade account or a Thinkorswim. I guess there's just like a lot of Robinhood competitors that um, do like a lot of similar things. So I don't know if like Robinhood is democratizing finance. Yeah, right, I don't but think they make- democratize finance in the way that like I I don't have any power over how Robinhood is ran. That's for sure, but it does give everyone working in my hallway access to a trading account within like yes. an hour if they want it. Right. Right. So it offers quick stuff, but, but if let's take it out of the Robin hood world, then if I said that I was democratizing something that was previously not democratized, I guess. So like an authoritarian rule, what would you associate the properties of democracy as having? Oh, I mean, I guess that like a large number of people would have uh, a say over, you know, governance of uh, of what Robinhood does. Right, right. What else? What are you, Billy? Yeah, kind of same thing. Just input into the working system, and yeah. uh, they couldn't screw me over. Hopefully, right. There'd be some accountability mechanism, I mean, and and. And a lot of the benefits of living in a democracy are transparency and, you know, you don't get a lot of false information for the government. Now, I know there's some listeners who 
and I take issues with that. But by and large, the government provides pretty accurate information. I mean, no one questions the employment reports that comes out tomorrow as being skewed or what, you know what I mean? So that's one of the benefits of living in a democracy is transparency. So here's, here's a reading from their settlement agreement after they had proceeded to democratize finance. Robin has, Robin has admitted that it published false and misleading information distributed to customers. Despite mis- this is in Robin Hood's language or the, the language of the lawyers writing for Robin Hood. Despite Robin Hood's mission, mission to demystify finance for all and to make investing understandable for newcomers and experts alike, during certain periods since September 2016, so for five years, the firm has negligently communicated a wide array of false and mis- misleading information to its customers, among others. And this is the this is the this is sort of the uh, the the greatest hits. Robinhood falsely told Robinhood Instant customers that they had to upgrade to Robinhood Gold to trade on margin, when in fact Robinhood allowed instant customers to place options trades that could trigger the use of margin. Robinhood falsely told Robinhood Gold customers they could disable margin in their accounts when, in fact, Robinhood allowed Gold customers to place option trades that could trigger the use of margin even after they had disabled margin. Robinhood displayed inaccurate cash balances to certain customers. Some some inaccuracies (laughs) were significant. For example, Robinhood displayed to many customers negative cash balances that were twice as large as they actually were. Robinhood provided false information to customers about the risks associated with certain options transactions. For example, Robinhood falsely told customers that they would never lose more than the premium paid to enter a debit spread when customers could, and many did, lose vastly more than the premiums they paid. Robinhood issued to certain customers erroneous margin calls and margin call warnings telling that they were in danger of a margin call when, in fact, they were not. Robinhood engaged in failure to exercise due diligence before approving options accounts. <laughs> they used a system that involved bots. The bots are programmed to approve options trading based on inconsistent or illogical information, including for customers who are younger than 21 years old, but who claim to have had more than three years experience trading options. The bots approve certain customers with low risk tolerance for options trading, even though the firm's written procedures prohibit the firm from from approving those customers from trading options. The bots are programmed only to take into account the most recent information provided by customers, meaning that the firm approved for options trading customers whom it had previously rejected for options trading often only minutes earlier. (laughs) Okay, so does it keep uh, going? Does it just keep going? Oh, oh yeah, no. It, it 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 failure to report customer complaints to Fenra, but between January 2018 and December 2020, Robinhood failed to report to Fenra tens of thousands of customer complaints that it was required to report to Fenra under Rule 4530. So for two years, they just were like, meh. We're not going to turn these in. They had a, they, they they failed to uh, display complete market data information, 
Um, between January 2018 and November 2019, Robinhood failed to display complete market data information on its website and mobile apps as required by you know, the FINRA regulation. Um, and it goes into a lot of detail and they've got screenshots about the misleading nature of Robinhood Gold and Robinhood Instant. A Financial Times journalist uh, named Philip Stafford, who thankfully exists because he covers the exciting area of, he's the editor of FT Trading Room. He covers exchanges, clearing, and derivatives mainly. So he, he focuses on things like this in back office and don't get a lot of, um, uh, <laughs> a lot of, uh, <laughs> A lot of uh, attention. And so for him to get this attention, I think is notable. These are the parts that he highlighted. Although the firm sent corrective notice actions to the affected customers before open, markets opened on Monday, August 13th, approximately 19,000 accounts sold securities on August 10th after receiving the false margin call warnings. 19,000 accounts. On December 13, 2018, Robinhood distributed marketing materials to his customers and to the public that contained misrepresentations concerning its later canceled lot. This this one is just, I can't get over this. <laughs> Sorry, guys. On December 13, 2018, Robinhood distributed marketing materials to his customers and to the public that contained misrepresentations and omissions concerning its later canceled launch of the Robinhood Checking and Savings Program. These included false and misleading claims that, one, the checkings and savings program had SIPC coverage when, in fact, it did not, equated the name checking and savings with bank deposit accounts, which they weren't, and a 3% interest rate was available as part of the program, and this is Robinhood language, is in quote, every damn day and every year without disclosing that the 3% was in fact contingent upon the U.S. Treasury yield and the federal funds rate. So I, I admittedly don't read a lot of S1s, but is it is it normal for lawyers to just be like, yeah, this is all the bad shit we've done <laughs> leading up to our... So, so I, we yeah, actually... Like, let's get it all out. Let's just... No, it's, that's a great question. We're not even to the S1 yet. Oh. This is just this is just the FINRA complaint that just got made public relatively recently. This is just the FINRA complaint. We get in, we're about to get the S one. That's so a that's, really that's good. That's just an admission of guilt in response to. Well, and technically, because they're in exchange for being willing to pay seventy million dollars, they don't admit to the guilt, but they agree that everything above is true. It's very strange, but anyway, um, let's keep this moving. So, I, I that that um, that is. Uh, that that that's a great question you asked about S ones. I've I've um, been an author of an S one. We took a company public, and you do you you just throw everything out there that ever might affect you, like aliens landing, and you know a nine eleven style attack, uh, COVID, even you know all this just anything you can think of because no one ever reads this stuff, right? And and. Unless they do, and on a previous beta podcast for this that Hal was on, we read through the uh, Coinbase S1, and we were like, this thing is terrible. And we advised people not to buy it, and it's done nothing but go down ever since. But it's hard to read an S1, but let's just close out this, fin this FINRA complaint, because I think it's, it's, it's critical. 
it includes even the, you know some guy who got one of these these, these uh, fake margin calls and committed suicide, and um, it's pretty gross stuff. Um, and then so this complaint thing is 123 pages long, and only about 36 pages or 30, including signature pages, are. Um, are our customers who need to be reimbursed for all this this bullshit that Robinhood was doing, and it goes on. And each each page contains a list of forty three customers. And you'd think it'd be for like you know I don't know twelve dollars here, twelve dollars there. Uh, uh-uh, not at all. It's like three thousand, eight thousand, one thousand, two hundred and fourteen thousand, twenty eight thousand. 12,000, 6,000, 34,000, 18,800, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it goes on for another 100 pages. So that's the complaint for FINRA, which is repeated pretty much verbatim in the S1. The only thing I'll add in the S1 filing is that the... CEO's cell phone has been subpoenaed and they're being sued in state jurisdictions of Massachusetts, California, and New York, which have some pretty tough um, consumer protection laws. They're actually taking California consumer protection law. And um, they're, they're, they're a little bit more robust than most states, but most states have adopted the same code. So basically, uh, New York, California, and Massachusetts have sued them, which means the rest of the states are going to sue them eventually as well. So, so they got they got a seventy million dollar fine, but I bet they're racking up close to seventy million legal fees if every state is going to sue them. Oh well, yeah, and and, and you know, I mean, how are they going to? There's all there are all kinds of risks in the S one that make me not want to buy this IPO. I bet it'll double the first day of trades, but. I mean, it's stuff like, you know, there's 75% of their order flows dependent upon one market maker. You know, I mean, it's just it's just a, a case study of, of how not to build a business. I'm just, I guess I'm shocked and I'm sad. One of the things is that, and, and how you can speak to this a little bit, because I know it's a key motivator for you. But one of the things that attracts me to uh, cryptocurrency in general as a Bitcoin centrist but I'm a DeFi maxi maximalist. Meaning, I one of these really attracts me to this is there's there's all these good faith actors, really great computer minds who are creating these self governing communities in the form of DeFi, and that is the true democratization of finance. And if you could speak to that a little bit, how? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I do think that like what Robin Hood is trying to portray, like the the DeFi community is actually doing. Uh, just like being involved with them myself, like you know, it, it, even if you like, even if you're not going to get exactly what you want done, uh, if you go into some sort of you know one of these crypto communities and start complaining or whatever, they'll listen to you and they'll they'll you know try it. You know, if you actually have a really good idea. Uh, there's a like, there's a path to hear it through, um, where I, you know I do think 
clearly Robinhood is like a company trying to make money. The, the biggest difference, though, is that in in DeFi, there's always this like push towards like you having control over your assets. So if you don't like what you know the protocol is doing, you can like really quickly um, take your assets and get out. Where you know we we saw this big day where Robinhood uh, literally just like shut down uh, the app for their customers while they figured out what was going on in the back and end. lied about a checking account. I mean, can you was there a moment you've been using Sushi for a long time? Was there a moment when Sushi said, "Hey, bud, hey, bud, we've got a checking account that doesn't exist." Right, right. No, no, and, and and right. That's the whole point is that Sushi is built in such a way where like I I keep control of everything the whole time, and there's not this this point where they can just like be like, oh well, fuck you. Yeah, and so I just I mean it really drives me crazy because the same assholes who are like you know, crypto is a pyramid scheme are absolutely the people who are going to get pre-IPO allocation or, or invested on a venture capital basis in Robinhood, right? It's the same assholes. Um, can you can you explain? I saw this uh, thing that said that Robinhood users will get access to like the IPO or something like that. Do you, do you have- yeah, they did the same. Airbnb gave me shares because I've got my cabin on Airbnb. It's something that companies do. Because again, it's important to their brand. If so they this didn't, mean, does this mean that they're going to give me uh, shares yeah, you, for, for my uh, YOLO GME position? Yeah, no, you don't. You don't get free shares. You just get access to buy them in the pre-IPO. Oh, offering. I see. So I could sell my GME and and buy um, Hood. Yeah, Is that the ticker symbol. I, yeah, yeah, I love. Yeah. That no, it's ticker. not. I love yeah. that ticker symbol. If there's nothing more, if there's nothing more democratizing than creating a ticker called the Hood that we can all buy, mm-hmm. we uh, we flexing in the Hood. This is bad. This is yeah, just 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 not telling Finra about thousands. What were the language they used? Thousands upon thousands of customers are just not doing it. Having their ticker symbol hood. Is it yeah, yeah, no, O-O-D? I mean, it's like every single step is like an attempt to get people, you know, to, to, to like trick people, to market to them. I mean, you, you saw CEO they were like, going to jail. <laughs> you saw they were forced to remove the little like birthday. There was like a little like birthday celebration thing whenever you like bought like an options contract or something. Yeah, I, it's just, it's just. I mean, I want no part of it. Uh, again, I think the, the, the IPO will go up um, a lot. I mean, remember Coinbase's reference price, so that's where it priced, not where it started trading. Uh, it's probably trading around right now where its reference price was to begin with. It just got so overheated. And I think, you know, this is another case of the Chipotle thing where, you know, um, Chipotle stock trades higher a lot of other restaurants because kid parents send their kids away to college with credit cards and they see Chipotle all over the statement and they're like, that must be a really good restaurant. And yeah. yeah. And I, mean, parents- I, I heard a, I heard a comment today about like, you know, how the, the Robin hood crowd, you know, sort of pumped up GME. So what if they all just YOLO into hood? Yeah. Or, or, uh, uh, Tudor Jones was in, in his interview and he's talking about buying Bitcoin and about the, lack of exposure of com- to commodities. Um, he's like, God forbid if the Reddit people ever got a hold of commodities, you know? I mean, they, yeah, could, they, yeah. they could just, 
they could they, they could exercise serious serious influence and he didn't mean it uh sort of god forbid people they shouldn't have access to it or anything he was just like you know the sort of herd herd mentality the irony of all of this this wall street best stuff to me and the folks who think they're democratizing finance is that the the worst thing about wall street is the herd mentality right it's the it's the you must adhere to this version of reality type thing and um everyone moves in a herd trades get crowded and wall street bets is literally replicating wall street <laughs> by doing that <laughs> although i have no sympathy for the hedge funds who got who got screwed in short squeeze but Robinhood does have uh, an, a sh- one of the big surprises from the S1 is the amount of uh, crypto exposure that they have, which is uh, which is quite high. They don't break out the uh, like any like leverage rates or anything else like that. So, but um, you know, uh, is there anything in the Finra complaint about uh, crypto? Uh, no. Because there was, I, I do know that uh, at one point, like the crypto on Robinhood was, you know, what people would say, like fake crypto. So like if you bought Bitcoin on Robinhood, there was no way to actually get the Bitcoin sent to you. Uh, right. If you, if you buy it on Coinbase, you can. Um, but that, I know they changed that because I recently got a notification on my account that said, if you want to buy Bitcoin through us, you need to like KYC or whatever. And so, you know, I, I mean, I've never bought any crypto through Robinhood, so I never did it. Um, but Billy, did you have to do that? Do you have to KYC yourself to, to keep buying crypto? Let's through clarify Robinhood? what that. Let's clarify what that means. Yeah, I don't even know what KYC means. Yeah, so it's know your customer. It was done to the Patriot Act. It was done to do anti-terrorist money laundering, and it's created a cottage industry. Stuff, but what securities regulators realize, the only reason it's still around is because not because of money laundering, but it's it's like a good cooling off period where you know there's a there's a time period where you have to get approved by like interactive brokers. You send in hundred thousand dollars, they take five days to approve your application. They take you know another five days with your funds on hold or whatever. You can't just go out and trade today. And I think Robinhood lets you like trade today, isn't that the whole thing? Yeah, uh, they let you they let you trade today, and then uh, you know uh, ACH transfers take several days to be confirmed, and so they'll let you trade, um, you know, while you know before the ACH transfer ha- has been confirmed. Similar, <laughs> we we talked about like this similar to what Coinbase does, where if you send money to Coinbase, you can buy a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin before the money actually gets there. Yeah, so that's know your customer, and it's a real pain in the ass. And every time we're dealing with a portfolio company, we create a new co, um, and we have to deal with know your customer. But it's just the bottom line is, is that it's a regulatory step. It's a way that it's by by asking. It's it's actually a pretty cool thing. So instead of the government, instead of having to prove yourself to the government, you have to prove yourself to the bank. Who, if the bank screws up has to prove itself to the government. So it's a good, pro- it's, it keeps your information one step away from the government, but the government's overseeing the bank who does it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I do have a quick question a little bit off sure. from Robin Hood for how I think a lot of people up there like me only got a Robin Hood or something to 
trade crypto easier. I know Coinbase does it, but with the fees and stuff. So what is the easier way that's not Robinhood to have like quick liquidity uh, in, in trade cryptocurrencies? Yeah, I mean, you know, it really just doesn't exist right now. The, you know, Coinbase, you know, Coinbase is, is a, you know, has been around for like a long time. The, the, the name Coinbase comes from when you're mining Bitcoin, uh, there's a reward that's given to you for being the, the person that successfully mines it. And that is that reward is called the Coinbase. So like when they when Coinbase was created, you know, there was just like no one else around doing anything there. So so Billy, there was really big news that's kind of just gone under the radar that um, it was like 650 banks or something like that were approved to offer cryptocurrency to their customers. So, uh, you know, I think that's like something that's going to be right around the corner. So that, that's going to be the moment where you're going to start to be able to actually like get the stuff at not a you know, without somebody scalping you uh, on the way. And I think that is honestly the biggest barrier to entry for me right now. It's like, I don't want to like, oh, maybe I see a move I want to make, but I don't want to have to wait five to seven days to transfer from my account. It's a, yeah, but no one's storing money in Robin hood. Yeah, no, but as we just said over and over and over again, that also creates a barrier to exit. And so it tends to, you know, once people get on Coinbase because of the high fees, they stay on Coinbase. So instead of selling out a Bitcoin and, and moving to actual physical U.S. dollars and then taking it back to your checking account, you're much more likely to put it on Tether or USDC or another stable coin. Yeah. And so if, if you did get if you didn't get those exit fees, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm, I want a better user experience for users, but I also think it's an important bullish component of cryptocurrency because if you you know basically if you're going to say i'm going to put this money in a coinbase wallet and never take it out except you know it's my yellow money you know if i make some money off of bitcoin bitcoin triples or something maybe then i'll take it out it creates a closed system no i i i just think that um it, it is interesting like you know bringing it back to robin hood that robin hood is listing at this time coinbase is listing at this time and you know we're about to see this uh, this movement from banks into being able to allow their customers access to crypto, and then also uh, you know one of the things that you had pointed out where interactive brokers is going to allow access to crypto. Um, I know there's a a barrier there on interactive brokers that might not be accessible to every retail trader, but I think uh, some of them might want to take advantage of that. I imagine the fee structure there is going to be a lot. Uh, more reasonable than what will be on Coinbase. And my point being that Coinbase and Robinhood are listing at a time where it feels like um, a lot of competition is about to show up for them. So, I mean, there's no other space that you guys can think of that value is potentially limited because of a barrier to public investment, right? Like no one's no one's saying like, oh, if only more people could buy Apple stock, it would be even higher, right? No, various entry. I mean, that concept in business is as it's defining a defensibility of a business model is well as an established concept. Like uh, various entry are usually seen as good if you're the one who's got them. Um, I my what I question is a couple of things. There's an old saying like, you only go public when you don't think there's more money that you can possibly make. 
like that was the argument for being sort of bearish on Facebook was like, if it's done growing, what do you do? You go public because you're looking to just monetize your VC investment at that point. And so uh, Robinhood just dropped this $70 million fine a day ago and then announced this public S1 the next day. And so, um, you know, they believe and Coinbase definitely believe this. I mean, they went from making no money to a lot of money because they take all their fees in crypto. And so the, when Bitcoin, they basically, what the coin, Coinbase IPO was within seven days of the Bitcoin top. Right, right. I mean, uh, yeah, Coin, Coinbase IPO was was the Bitcoin top for sure. Right, right. And, and so that, that oftentimes tops in a particular market when there's a hyped IPO. In this case, it may be a retail investing, but when there's a hyped IPO or something that's representative of a class of investments and they go public, they had basically come to the idea, we can't possibly grow more, or this is the perfect time to go for a variety of reasons. And so they just rush out the door through an IPO. And in Coinbase's case, they were right. They timed the market perfectly. And maybe they even influenced the market by existing. I have no idea. But you ask a good question, Philly, which is, I think interactive brokers would be the place that, that at least for my generation and for wealthier people who have yellow accounts to trade futures, we do whatever um, the interactive brokers will be the place to be because to, for example, I mean, I moved, uh, I moved around, I don't know, 5,000 barrels of oil today, 5,000 times 70. What is that? Anybody good with math? 30, 30, yeah, 30 50. 50. Uh, yeah. 70, 35,000. Yeah. 35,000, 350,000. That's all. Okay. So <laughs> I, I, uh, I moved that amount of oil, um, and just a sort of day trade. Um, and it cost me $4 round trip. Yeah. That's a pretty nice fee, fee structure. Yeah. So that, if I moved, uh, what, a hundred dollars of Bitcoin out of Coinbase, I couldn't do it because they charged me $105. Yeah. And I mean, that is one of the things that, um, you know, sort of, we were talking about like there being like a VIX inside of, um, crypto. One of the things that someone pointed out to me the other day is the, the Ethereum gas fees are almost like a VIX. So when people are, when people are using Ethereum a whole lot, um, the gas fees like skyrocket. So the, the cost per trade, uh, goes up with the, you know, the number of people using the thing. And so, uh, I think anyone inside of, inside of crypto using it realized that like there needs to be a fix to this and so then we saw things like polygon start to emerge just before uh, everything went under where the you know they cut the trading fee down to a fraction of a penny um per trade um so yeah i i do think that there's these things like inside of crypto that if you're not using crypto that you just like won't see so yeah ethereum was running up against an issue of creating huge um you know, swap fees for people using Uniswap or, or SushiSwap. And this uh, apparently seems to be fixed through Polygon. And then Ethereum is also promising this big upgrade to the network uh, that's supposed to happen uh, this summer. Yeah, there were actually some some of the head Ether folks were on Unchained podcast and they were talking about this. It was kind of disturbing. They really didn't understand what an auction environment was like. 
they're like, uh, say that there's a house listed and the person wants $1.1 million. And then, you know, say it's a really hot house. And so you really want the house. So you offer 1.1 and then somebody else offers 1.2 and somebody offers 1.5. But the person didn't need to offer 1.5 because they really got it for 1.1. I was like, that's not how that works yeah. at all. It's like, the guy offering 1.5 was willing to pay 1.5. It's not that he's just, there's something you need to tweak so he can pay 1.1 or one. And so it was a little scary to hear that, that analogy being used because that's, that's not how an auction process or price discovery really works, but how they get more expensive, uh, as like, I guess Ethereum gets more busy as it scales. Cause it seems like most industries or most applications, become more efficient as they scale, but, but not right. It's like surge. They've just, they described it on the podcast as being like like Uber surge prices. Oh yeah. Like Uber surge. That's a good idea. That's that's a a a terrible analogy too. Actually. I I think it's, it's not as bad as a house, but it's pretty bad, but go with the gas. Tell us all about gas. The surge thing like works kind of in the sense that, um, you know, the people that are doing the work realize that there's a high demand. And so they're like, they're, they're going to charge more. But I mean, basically, that if you want to, if you want to make something happen on Ethereum, uh, like you know, one of the simplest transactions you can do on Ethereum is you can send money from me to you. Um, you have to pay what's called gas, like to make the transaction happen. And you know, back in you know twenty, even like 2018, 2019, when when very few people were using Ethereum. Uh, these gas fees were really, really cheap, you know, like less than a dollar and that sort of thing. Um, but as applications are built on top of Ethereum, uh, you have, you know, you have NFTs, you have like SushiSwap, which allows people to trade, Uniswap, you know, allows people to trade, Aave and Compound allow people to take out loans and these sorts of things. Uh, and then, you know, in the NFT space, you have a lot going on with people creating art all over the place. And so this creates a demand on the network where people are trying to transact and certain people, you know, people that are like, say, swapping on Uniswap or SushiSwap that see, you know, a trading opportunity, they're willing to pay more money um, because if you pay more money, you kind of jump to the front of the line. Uh, and so, you know, you, 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 if you see like this opportunity, you can pay to jump in front of the line, which is like something that you don't have in, uh, the stock market, right? I mean, it, a fast pass it, at Disneyland. Yeah, no, you, yeah. But you, but you do have that in the stock market, actually. You really do. Right. Well, do. in Ethereum, it's available to anyone with no, you know, you don't have to, all you have to do is be on the network and just pay more money to get uh, to get in, basically. And so when, when you have high volatility, so if a lot of people are thinking, oh, the Bitcoin price is about to go down or the Bitcoin price is about to go up, um, you have people willing to pay a lot more money for the, the swaps that they're doing. Yeah. I think it's, uh, somebody should have trolled, um, you know, the ETH shop, shy boys as they moved to proof of stake from proof of work, uh, about having using gasoline, gas feet, right? Gas. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like- yeah. The idea with the idea with proof of stake is that it will take, a lot less gas per transaction because, um, you know, uh, a lot of the computation is moved sort of what they call like off chain or onto like a layer two. And then 
so there's just like less number of transactions that start happening. And then I guess, um, so I don't know if we want to go like into exactly like what proof of stake is, um, but you, you know, proof of work is this competition to prove, you know, it just like says it in itself, right? Proof of work is this competition to prove to you that an I that you've done the most work and proof of stake is that um, you have like the most stake in the network. Uh, so a lot of, you know, a lot of Bitcoin, Bitcoin maxis, th this is that moment of democratization of finance where uh, a lot of people are arguing that this proof of stake that Ethereum is going to move towards is actually, um, you know, turning Ethereum into like the Robin Hood of, of crypto where th they don't really care about well, you. They just, they just want to make sure that the people who have the most money keep getting more money and, and you know, they make it off of those of us that don't have as much. So it would cost me. So CME has figured this out on the futures. Um, and so it would cost me to buy, uh, I don't know how many Ethereums this is, but $105,000 worth of Ethereums um, at current ass price of 2107 it would cost me $12 a round trip to buy and sell. If you were going to move $105,000 on the Ethereum network, how? what are the gas fees for $105,000? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't even know if it... <laughs> we can try and guess off of, let's say, I have 10 grand right here. So if I wanted to try and buy 10 grand worth of Ethereum right now, it's going to charge me $4. So it'd be, uh, and then, and like, okay, let me reject that and do a thousand dollars and see if it's scale, how much it scales by. Yeah. So it's the same. See, that's the difference in Ethereum though, is it's the same, it's the same fee to, regardless of the amount of money that I'm moving. So that's where, that's where Ethereum starts to look really, really nice. People that have a lot of, a lot of money, right? Because they could make a million dollar trade for eight bucks. And then, you know, for me to do it, to do that with $10,000 would still cost $8 as well. So I vaguely understand the different fees like Robinhood does, uh, you know, commission free trading, but there's still some fees between the commissioning house or whatever in the general stock market. There's, there's some fees going on there, but, what would what happens when you buy Ethereum or Bitcoin using your Robinhood account? Um, like, do they pay that Ethereum tr transfer fee, and then everything on? How does Robinhood right. make money on your Ethereum purchase? Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. I think I think now uh, there is a way to take your Ethereum off of Robinhood, so. Um, theoretically, when you make that purchase, they should secure the Ethereum in some way. Uh, otherwise, they're taking, you know, a network risk by not, uh, or market risk, I mean, by not um, buying the Ethereum when you buy the Ethereum. And so they must be taking uh, the, the fee. My guess is that they've purchased a large amount of Ethereum uh, in the past, and then they're doing some sort of uh, balance it like you know they have a second ledger where they when you buy from them they they say okay now now you own it from us right so 
but so I, I just don't get where they make money on that because I'm not paying anything. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm guessing that there's some sort of hedging going on. I don't know. I, I there you know there there could also be since they're selling order flow, there could be a way that they're selling order flow, um, and someone's taking advantage of by advantage of buying and selling um, futures and then paying the money to basically take the risk on. Right. Yeah. On Coinbase. If I was going to buy $105,000 worth of Ethereum, they will charge me a lot, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. They've charged me 1.5%. Yeah. So that's a ton. That's a thousand. So, see, that's where, so that's where, again, that's why the people that are using Sushi Stop and Simi Group's not so bad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The people that are trading futures and uh, and the people that are using Sushi Stop and Uniswap. You know the risk of using SushiSwap and Uniswap right now. Well, this SushiSwap has moved to Polygon. The liquidity there, there's like two point five billion dollars of liquidity there. Um, so that's quite. You know, if you're if you're trading Bitcoin and Ethereum, that's plenty of liquidity as long as you're not some like major um, person trying to trade millions of dollars on spot or something. But my point is that. Uh, it's probably the best fees that you can get if you're trading, you know, between let's say twenty to one hundred thousand dollars in spot, because you're going to be paying uh, pennies to be swapping back and forth. So I have a trading question for you, Hal. Um, let's pretend I'm a little bit more retail oriented. Um, I'm absolutely flummoxed with Bitcoin trading. It can be scalped. It can be scalped. It could be hodled. Hodled. Yeah, yeah. Swing swing trading. Yes, swing trading. I've lost on every single trade. Not made money one time. I can get in there and I can scalp a little breakout, a break short, a breakdown, or whatever for an hour or something like that. And my win rate's usually 70, 80%. But if I want to swing it for like two to seven days, I've lost every single time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> again, you did pick a really bad time, I think, to come into the market in that, um, I mean, it's just brutal right now. The 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 China thing, which I'm talking about the miners, uh, like China banning mining. And, you know, the reason that it, the reason that it took everyone off guard is it was one of those news stories that was like, how many times can China ban Bitcoin? Um, and it's, you know, from the network perspective, it feels like they did. I'm still, you know, at the point where I think that maybe they didn't because how easy it is, is it to just turn off your miners and turn them back, them back on if you have some coordinated effort? Um I, I I think watching the Bitcoin mining hash rate over the next two or three months is going to be much more interesting than watching the price. Uh, if you're looking to try and trade this, I don't know, and you're new to this, just like this is a, a period to sit back and like put on some really small trades if you want to feel what it's like. Um, but just like, yeah, this is a big learning opportunity. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Foot Guns podcast. You heard it here first. Robinhood's IPO is not looking all that promising right off the bat. 
Hopefully you learned something along the way from House69K, Boomer, and Villy. Catch us next time. Follow House69K on Twitter and Foot Guns Pod on Twitter to get our opinions and thoughts in between episodes.